This is Company the Podcast. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast produced in rural Australia, bringing together ambitious women from the bush, the cities, and all over the world. I'm honoured, to say the least, to have been able to interview today's guest. It's the former editor-in-chief of Country Style magazine, Victoria Carey. As you may know, I occasionally write for Country Style. This has been a dream of mine since I was a child. I wanted so badly to become a part of the pages of the magazine that seemed to be so revered by my family and all the women in my community. My grandmother, my mother, our family friends and relatives. When I grew up, a house in the country wasn't complete without a bookcase or a big pile of country-style magazines extending back years, cataloguing the most stylish houses and occasionally featuring people that we knew. I feel so lucky to have worked with and be guided by Victoria and now to have been able to have had this conversation looking back on her career and the future of print media in Australia was just a treat. I do want to mention that all of these recordings are done remotely from a farm, so there is sometimes sketchy internet signal, and that's why occasionally there is a glitch in the audio of these podcasts. I'm so sorry for that, but really it is a reality for a lot of people at the moment. I hope this conversation fully absorbs you, and I can tell you that there are many takeaways for you to get from it. So here is the former editor-in-chief of Country Style magazine, Victoria Carey. Hello, Sky. My name is Victoria Carey. I am the former editor-in-chief of Country Style magazine, a magazine that I worked on for about 13 years. And I'm talking to you today. I'm sitting in a little terrace house in Sydney, packing up my boxes and getting ready to move back to the Blue Mountains. Thank you so much, Victoria, for taking the time, number one, to, to speak with me. I feel um, really lucky to be able to do that. And I can't wait to talk to you a little bit more about your career so far in magazines and publishing. But I'd like to start just by asking you a little bit about what you've been doing over the last couple of weeks slash months um, during, yes, yeah, since we've been in isolation and since there's been big changes for you? It's been a very, very interesting time. Um, at the beginning of the isolation, I put out a couple of issues of Country Style, which we did remotely, um, which actually went really, really well. Um, and the team worked really well together to do that. So that was interesting. And I had my son, who's a um, university student, he had the biggest desk. He was sitting next to me. And um, it was a lovely time, actually. It was a nice little sort of bunkering down, even though it was very concerning and worrying what was going on. Um, We did manage to have a nice time as a a family. And um, I guess there's always some um, silver linings to difficult situations. I think it's been a wonderful time for in a, for a family unit, although albeit very challenging. But it's allowed for new rituals and 
routines to develop. Is that something that you saw happening in your household? Definitely, definitely. Um, I really focused on cooking and I really focused on finding beautiful produce and tried to get things direct from farmers. Um, and so we did, we cooked together quite a lot. And I think the other thing that I did more of was I became um, much better at exercising and going for a walk. And I realised in my past corporate life that really I spent so much time in an office. Um, really, you become quite unaware of, you know, when it's light and day when you work long hours. And um, it's also been a really um, lovely thing to be out and walking around and looking at gardens and talking to people. And so, yeah, that was another little aspect that has um, been a big change, I guess. Have you, you sound like you've consciously completely slowed down. I did to some extent. Look, you know what I'm like, Sky. I'm on the, I'm always researching things and looking at new things and falling down that rabbit hole late at night, you know, when you, you find a good story idea and you think, oh, that's really interesting. Let's have a look at that. Um, so I'm always doing things like that. But I do think I just really enjoyed um, the routine of, of being at home, um, just being more aware and more present, I guess. Are you a morning person or an evening person? I, oh, look, my family would laugh if I said I was a morning person. <laughs> I aspire to being a morning person. Um, and when I was a kid, I used to get up at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock and go up and feed the horses and get them ready to, if we were going to a show or something like that. Um, so I do really love that really still early time of the morning. But when it comes to writing and working, I really do have a very productive time sort of from about mm, 7 till 10. And I blame that for also for starting when I had a baby who didn't sleep very well and I was a freelance um, journalist at that time and I had a little desk set up in my cupboard. Oh, my goodness. I used to have to, you know, every hour I could grab and um, he used to sleep at that particular time of the night. So, oh, I used to write away as quickly as I could. So I do have a bit of a productive streak at night time. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I almost mirror exactly that now. Like I love, I think I'm an aspiring early morning person, but there is no doubt about it. I cannot get myself out of bed um, at, at the moment, like in these child, young, in these years of having young children. And I've recently found that I'm way more of an evening person. And after they've gone to bed, then I just spend some time resetting, have a bit of dinner, maybe a glass of wine, and then can go forth from there, which I'm never, I've never been, I've never been like that. I really enjoy going to bed early. And so I, I, yeah, I note with interest that it ebbs and flows, I think, with, with everybody. It's when I was at school, I used to, we'd, we would get up at, you know, 5.30 and uh, go out of the boarding house and go down and, and go for a run or throw the softball between each other. And we loved the early mornings. Um, and it was uh, that head start on the day is so beautiful, but I ooh, just can't do it at the moment. <laughs> and they'll also tell you, I don't know, after you have a baby, I don't think you ever sleep as well as you did before. Mm. It just never comes back. <laughs> mm. 
You you alluded um, to yes your early days as a as a journalist and um, you were at Country Style for more than thirteen years and have worked in um, publications prior to that. I am so interested to learn a bit about what what the office space was like and how magazines worked when you first got into the industry. Well, I started on newspapers and my first job was on the Herald in Melbourne um, and it was an afternoon broadsheet newspaper, which, you know, was quite a rare thing. And back then the press was actually still in the building. So you would file your copy and you could actually feel the presses running because you would actually, the building would shake. Um, and that was in Flinders Street. It was a beautiful old building. And that the Herald closed a couple of years after I started on it and it became, was merged and it became the Herald Sun. So I was a news reporter and a feature writer and then I started to become a sub-editor for a while and then I went overseas to London and I worked on papers over there for a couple of years. And it was really interesting over there because they were really leading the way in the new technology of how to print and create newspapers. Um, and so I learned how to use Quark Express and there was like a little, um, I guess, hub of the new technology, learning how to, um, how to lay out and do things like that. So it was, I was very lucky that I was in that position. Um, and then when I came back to Australia, I... Um, went into magazines and um, I'll never forget the excitement of getting my job on Bell because I'd always loved that magazine and um, suddenly it was a combination of all the things that I loved, you know, design and art and architecture um, but also um, a great love of words and writing well and getting facts right and things like that. So I think I've been very lucky. It was sort of accidental, but I just had that right combination of um, jobs that gave me the skills that I needed. Did you aspire to become an editor from a young age or did you, I'm interested to know where your uh, hankering for it came from. I grew up, both my parents were journalists um, my mother was on the launch issue of Clio. Um, so I grew up in a family and friends who many of them were journalists. So it was really, um, there was always so much to read at home. Like mum got every paper delivered to the house. So I was always reading and looking at things. Um, I loved magazines from a very, very early age. I didn't consciously set out though to be an editor. I actually didn't even want to be a journalist originally because I thought, oh, I can't do that, you know, because that's what my mum and dad do. So it wasn't a straightforward path. I just began to fall into it. I did um, communications and I did, I majored in, um, I did photography and filmmaking as well as journalism. So I always had a little bit of a each way bet on which path I was going to go. I didn't know that both of your parents were journalists and tell me a little bit about what the conversations were like for you as a child and growing up around around the kitchen table and, um, you know, surrounded by all of those publications. Well, it was always interesting. There was always 
my father was very good at telling me all the background and all the, the funny stories of things that um, he used to do. He had a great sense of humour. But, I mean, you know, it was fairly tough. I remember coming home after I'd edited my first issue of Country Style and I'd left Dad the issue. And when I walked in the door at Katoomba, he had spent all day going through the issue and had marked up every single page with his comments. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. My goodness. Anyway, but he was very supportive and he was, he was very good. And um, he had been a very good journalist in his day and he had gone on to start one of the first um, PR firms in Sydney. Yeah, no, he, he was a great support. And where do you think your love and influence for design and art and architecture came from? I think it's probably my mother. Um, we always had lovely houses. So she's always managed to make houses seem beautiful without too much effort. So very, very lucky, I think, to always just live in a, a beautiful, inspiring and lovely environment. And she just she just had a had the knack, I think. I always loved art classes at school and drawing and yeah, that's always been a passion. But I guess my biggest passion as anyone will know who's worked with me, um, would be horses. Everyone would make a joke and say, if you show V, everyone in the office calls me V, you show V a story idea and it's got a horse in it, you know she will say yes, (laughs) which is nearly true. Not quite true, but nearly true. This I have heard too from afar. I don't think I ever pitched a story to you that had a horse in it, but... um... (laughs) <laughs> something to have up your sleeve. <laughs> so I actually wanted to do, when I first left school, I actually um, wanted to do something with horses. And I remember I rang up an ad in the land and someone who wanted a strapper and I got the job. It was only an interview over the phone. And um, my father, of course, just said, there's just no way. I was only 17 and I, I was really, really wanted to go and do it, but he just said, there's just no way. So it would have caused a massive fights so I didn't do it but that was something I was one of those I really it's still to this day miss not having my own horse and I can't believe that I have spent so many years not riding but anyway I might change that I might um who knows I might get a horse again one day I don't know tell me about when you and when was it exactly when you first um started to was your first role with Country Style as the editor no, I had freelance for them, like you, and written a few stories. Um, and then I was hired as the deputy editor. So for the first little while, I was the deputy editor on stuff. Um, and I started part time because my son was still quite young in primary school. Um, and then I think after about two years, I became the editor and I was commuting huge distance so from Katoomba to the office it was um 100 k's door to door it was quite it was quite a long long trip every day huge and tell me did you aspire to work for country style was it a good fit for you beyond working for for bell and tell me a little bit about what it was like when you became the editor did you um was it was it something that you'd always wanted to do I loved the magazine and I had always read it. Um, 
So it was always close to my heart. I loved it. But really, it was, it was just, I don't think I'm a particularly ambitious person. It just came about eventually. And, you know, I, I was very surprised, but it was a great job and it was a job I, I loved so much. I don't even think of it as a job, actually. I think the best jobs are the ones that aren't, don't actually feel like that. They just feel like something that you love doing. And when you are lucky enough to have that passion for doing a job, I think, you know, you're just, you're very fortunate. What was the publication like when you first started? Because I'd love to talk with you about, yeah, how it evolved over those 13 years, which of course it did. The content is, um, has always been very much the same. It's always been about what inspiring people in regional and country places are doing. And it's always been that mix of people and homes and gardens and businesses. Um, and I, people would say to me, gosh, it must be so hard to find these stories. And I, I used to be always quite amazed and think, oh, it's actually one of the easiest things, I think, because there's always a story there. It's just knowing how to tell a story. And I think if you asked me, Sky, one of the things that I learnt that has always taken with me from my first job on the Herald, it was one that Chief of Staff sent a bunch of cadets to walk down Collins Street. And he said, I want you to come back with a story. Some of them couldn't. But, I mean, that is true. I mean, there is a story everywhere. And I think that is what my mum and dad always did as well. It's just having that new sense too. There is always a story and they would always talk about that. So I feel like that's another thing I've been lucky to inherit is knowing a good story. On the downside though, sometimes I think maybe I ask too many questions <laughs> turn off the questions occasionally <laughs> not every social uh, situation wants somebody asking lots of questions you probably find that too do you I yeah absolutely I feel like um there's a curiosity that is um has been developed especially you know after me being a, a journalist for so many years that you give yourself license to pursue in any new person that you meet and I can see sometimes when I meet new people they're like who's going to let off on the questions but um, I think also it's it's the ultimate flattery to be to have someone who is interested in in um, what you're doing and why you do it and and where you come from Um, it's just that yeah sometimes people don't have the confidence to to ask that many questions and um, that I'm going to cross the line of seeming too too nosy or um, do you do you find that yeah some of the best journalists are the ones that are curie that harness that curiosity in a good way oh definitely and I mean I genuinely love hearing about people like I just find the stories of people's lives and where they've got to and how they've got there fascinating and I think that was my job was to try and tell the readers those stories Um, I think it's very important to tell the story in a complete and accurate way like I used to say to um, writers who are working and think what about this why did they do this Um, 
how big was that property? Like you don't want to leave any unanswered questions. You want to tell, you want to give the reader a satisfying read, um, one that's inspiring and one that is not frustrating by not giving them all the answers to what they are thinking when they're reading that story. What are your tips now for aspiring writers and people that would like to pursue writing in the magazine sector, lifestyle sector? Okay. First thing is you have to know if you're going to contact the editor of a website or a magazine, you really need to know that product. You really need to read it. You really need to know the sections. You need to know the types of stories that they might be interested in. It's really not going to be very helpful if you're trying to contact people who are very time poor and you show that you actually don't know what they're doing and what they're looking for. So if you've actually managed to get their attention and then you fail to deliver, it's going to be very hard for you to ever get their attention again. So it is, it is really just a question of doing your research and doing your homework and, and making sure that, um, yeah, that they, they, you give them all the information that they know. But it is very difficult out there for journalists at the moment. I read somewhere a few weeks ago saying that, um, you know, this is the darkest time for journalists in Australia and we are going through a huge change as we're seeing um, a lot of those regional newspapers are... Um, are closing and it's it's very sad very sad to see but it's going to be interesting to see what happens next definitely what are your thoughts about it i i mean i agree it's completely devastating to see all these um publications drawing to a close and but what's your feeling about the future of print media in australia I think it's going to be quite exciting because I think particularly in regional areas that there'll be more startups. Um, I've seen a colleague of mine in New Zealand who was on a home magazine within six weeks of the magazine closing. He has started another one and it's already printed and I think that's very inspiring to see people do things like that. We're seeing a lot of very good, experienced journalists start their own websites so I just think I think we just need to sort of see what's going to happen and it's going to be exciting I mean here you're doing your podcasts I think podcasts obviously are going to um, go even better than they already are at this moment in time like we've discussed regional Australia people are interested in it as they never have been before I think they're really re-engaging with um, life in the country and let's talk about that a bit more because I, I love it I do, and I agree too. I think as every month goes on, there is, um, yeah, our websites, publications, podcasts are full of stories about wonderful things happening in, in the country. Why do you think that is? Why is the time now? I think obviously it's been accelerated by COVID, but it was happening before that. I just think that people are becoming, um, they really want to know the story of where the food on the table comes from. They want to know the producer's stories. They want to know about 
the person who's making that fantastic cheese. I mean, if you look at um, Nick from Bruni Island Cheese, he's a great example of somebody who creates an amazing product. Um, and we've done a few stories over the years. Readers have always been very interested. And I also think people are becoming more conscious of family life and quality. We're becoming more aware of what we've done to the environment. I just think people are really becoming, they're valuing quality and they're valuing that um, connection to the land. And so when you think about it from a regional and rural point of view and what it is becoming, what, what excites you about that? Everything. I think it's great to be able to see these small businesses thrive. I think people have become more aware of how to market businesses. Oh, there's just so many stories, you know, people doing clothing, people running beautiful shops, people doing jewellery. Um, I think makers and artists have become a lot better about connecting with audiences. Um, I think it's just like anything's now possible, isn't it? Really, it just has opened up. And I think as um, the change in work patterns now, like people are getting used to working from home, not everyone thrives on that, I know, but the vast majority of people are really enjoying it. Um, and that means that people don't have to live within an hour of their office. They can actually move out into regional areas. So I think it's going to be a period of massive change and I think that regional Australia is really going to benefit from it. In your experience within the, the lifestyle magazine sector, has it always been easy to try and sell a story that come, you know, sell a country story? Has there always been that interest there? Or was it once sort of difficult and you had to work a bit harder, whereas now there's this insatiable interest? That's a hard question because, I mean, working on a magazine about country and regional things, everything coming to me would be about that. I do think that there are other mainstream magazines that are running more country stories, definitely. And I think you're seeing that overseas as well, like in the UK, for example. Um, I'm seeing a lot of stories on beautiful country farmhouse accommodation. Mm. Um, not so much about actual farmers and producers in those mainstream publications. But, yeah, I do think, I do think it is, it's increasing, definitely. And going back to what we were talking about, before I, I am keen to hear what you think about the future of print media like that tactileness of actually having a magazine in your hand I mean part of the reason why I feel so privileged to have worked for country style and also why I love it so much is that it's been sitting on our shelves for you know generations my 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 grandmother used to get it and my and my mother used to get it and now I do and there's that generational thing but and also the fact that, that that you receive it something tactile in the mail each month and I can never imagine that that would be something that would shift to online but perhaps it will what do you think I think it is a very powerful thing print and I think the big dilemma is 
just how viable it can be. I think there are certain magazines that are going to continue to be very viable. Um, I do think that there is something so relaxing about the print product and to get away from the screen when we're on a screen all the time. Um, and look, this sort of disruption of technology, this is not the first time it's happened. I mean, you just look back once upon a time, you know, everyone thought radio was going to be dead and TV had killed radio. Um, and then we all had videos and we thought the videos were going to um, kill cinema. And now cinema, unfortunately, COVID has um, created a problem for the cinema industry. But before COVID, everyone was going back to the cinema. It became an event. It became a beautiful thing to do. So I don't know. I still think that good quality magazines have a future, definitely. And I think that um, it's supported by the, um, the sales figures that I was seeing, um, definitely, particularly for homes and lifestyle and magazines of that genre, I definitely think there is a future, absolutely. You talked a little bit before about it being exciting, like regional startup publications and... But, but there is a difference, isn't there? Like the, the more niche, I suppose, publications aren't the full outfit, I suppose, that, that we're all used to seeing um, on the newsstands and there's a, there's a bit of a difference there. Do you think it will, the quality will have to drop a little bit but we will still hold on to that tangible print product? No. Like, I mean, <laughs> I'd hope that the quality improves. I think the quality needs to be there if you're going to hold on to your reader and your audience and I do think though and I've said this for many years um, particularly when I was also because there was two years I was also editing Vogue Living as well as Country Style um, and Vogue Living has a massive social audience I think it's one over a million on or just on Instagram actually it's, it's huge um, and so it's really important I think to think of these publications as brands and to look at the strategy over Instagram and online as well. It's not just solely about the print and that's how you keep your audiences engaged. It's how you grow the audience and it's really, I think, that's that's the way to go. There are stories that often you can't run to the extent that you might want to in the print product but you can put additional supplementary um, pieces online. For example, you might do a profile on a homeowner and the story of how they found the house and how they created the house and they decorated it, etc. And then you could run a Q&A online that could be with, with the builder and the owner saying 10 things I'd do and 10 things I wouldn't do, something like that. So there are just ways of enhancing the product, I think. You just have to be really clever about how you cut it up and how you do it. There's always lots of angles. <laughs> and I think I um, observed over, you know, even the last 18 to 12 months with Country Style that, that um, and, uh, you talk about it more, but that brand development was occurring with when through events and, um, and interesting collaborations. Yeah, we've always, we, we did a lot of things like that. 
I think the thing, one of the things I'm really proud of was doing Country Chef of the Year because I realised early on what was the secret to a really vibrant town and often it was from a tourism point of view and often it was having a really good local restaurant which would, you know, bring people to visit the town and to stay. And I think that Orange and Food Week is a great example. They were really, they started doing that early on. Um, and I, I think it's just a, a great way of showing how, you know, good foodies, good foodies and good people, good winemakers, um, just telling people about them and drawing attention to those people really can make a difference. So, um, yeah, I've got very strong ties to Orange over the years that have been built up and um, that's something I'm very proud of. What are some other things that you're proud of? Maybe two or three other things that are your most proud moments of working with, with Country Star? I think working with Michael Reed recently to do a, our art issue, bring that art issue to life by having an exhibition. That was um, a really something I'd wanted to do for many years. So that was a, a great thing. Um, but really overall, Sky, it's, it's just trying to um, help businesses in the country. Um, and I hope that our stories over the years have given people um, the support and the publicity that they've needed over time for their businesses to thrive. And also trying to make people just aware of what an amazing rural community Australia has. I think we're very lucky in this country to have such an amazing um, place to live. And so, Victoria, what's um, on the cards for you now in the short term and in the long term? Short term is packing up this house. I'm glad you can't see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's an absolute mess. Um, and getting back into my garden. Um, and then long term, I don't know, I've got a few ideas. I'm just sort of thinking about what to do at the moment. Um, not quite sure yet, but yeah, just in, just enjoying the moment, I guess. Victoria, it's been fascinating and an absolute pleasure to speak with you on the podcast. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sky. It's been a delight and I'm very honoured that you chose me to be interviewed. Thank you. was the former editor-in-chief of Country Style magazine, Victoria Carey, speaking to me from her home in inner Sydney as she packs her boxes to move back to the Blue Mountains. You can find Victoria at The Editor's House on Instagram. Thanks for being with me on Company. Talk again soon.